welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Romans chapter 1, verses 20, 23, and 25. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. All right, church, we are going to play today a little bit of a word association game. And I'm going to say a word, and I want you to do this when you're watching. If you're with somebody or not, whatever, you can text somebody that what you're doing this. It's like, I'm going to say a word, and if it has, like, positive connotation for you, give it a thumbs up, negative thumbs down, you're like, meh, a little bit of mix, okay? So here we go. Charity. Thumbs up, thumbs down, okay? Everybody got it? Go fund me. Maybe sometimes, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. What about donate? Taxes. It's like a double thumbs down. Support. Okay, you ready for this one? A sermon on money. Yes, that is lots of double thumbs down. Um, I grew up going to church every week, and I have to admit, especially when I was a young person, and you come in and you're kind of getting a feel for like, what's the preacher going to be preaching about? And if you got a sense it was like about money, as a young person, you're like, ugh, boring. As I got older, I was like, oh no, the G word's coming up, which is about give, which is going to bring another G word up, which is guilt, and this just feels not good. Now, especially if I brought a friend who, you know, maybe had gone to church before but then left it or was never into church, and you find out the sermons on money, you're like, no, everything in you. And so maybe even, maybe you're someone actually who stayed away from church a long time because of that, or you invited someone today, and you're like, oh, God, please, no, not today. Um, so just take a deep breath <sighs> because today we're talking about generosity. And you're like, hey, wait a second. That's a thumbs down. That's basic. That's just like a fancy, maybe biblical word for talking about money. Um, but here's the thing. There's so much more to this word generosity than actually money. The, the, the scriptures um, have a lot to say about it. And while you may be saying today, well, I don't know, you know, I don't need much of that in my life, or I don't need a sermon on generosity right now, um, can I just say this, that the premise of this series is that generosity is the unlikely cure for worry, discontentment, and fear. I say unlikely because we really wouldn't think about that um, as something we need, and yet we could all say, yeah, I need something to address the worry and the discontentment 
and the fear in my life. And maybe, can we be honest that in this season, the potential for experiencing worry, fear, and discontentment on a daily basis may be up or rising. And so generosity is actually presented to us in the scriptures as the cure, but the unlikely one. So you got to stay with me on this because I think we could all say, hey, I think, I, think I, I want that. I need this. I need some kind of a cure. Interestingly, we started last week um, in this series on generosity, talking, not talking about really money at all, but talking about um, injustice in that uh, God is actually inviting us as people to spend ourselves in the fight against injustice. And we used a word last week that's really important to this whole conversation about generosity. We talked about the heart. Now, the heart of, in biblical terms, and this idea of what the heart actually means is, it's not really talking about the organ, your heart. Um, the heart in the scriptures is actually the center. It's not even just like feelings or emotions, but it's actually the center of all things, of our will, of our choices, of our decisions, of our deepest convictions, our beliefs, our passions, our ideas, our thoughts, and our feelings, that the heart is at the center of, of everything to do with um, like who we are. And that we said generosity is actually fundamentally about our hearts. And if I can say that, our hearts that actually need to be freed from worry, fear, and discontentment, which comes from the heart, the center of us. And so that's really the hope. And who wouldn't want that, right? Two thumbs up to have your heart a little more free from worry, fear, and discontentment. Um, now, the question is, when it comes to God and generosity, we have some questions about God, right? Like if we think, oh, our minds immediately go to money, uh, God and generosity when it comes to us is sort of like God's like the tax man. Like we kind of have to pay him his fee, whatever it is for being God. It's how he stays in business. Or maybe if we want to be positive, it's how he pays for the community services stuff that he does for us in our lives. If we want to be negative, it's like, okay, well, I just got to pay God the tax to keep him off my back. Or maybe there's like actually guilt. We think God's going to guilt us into some kind of generosity. Like, shouldn't you? Like, isn't that what it means to be a good person? Isn't that what it means to be a Christian? Don't you have enough? Why don't you look after other people? There's some guilt a lot of times associated with this idea of generosity. Or maybe just obedience. Hey, that's just part of what you signed up for, this idea of generosity. But interestingly, the perspective of who God is and what is at the core of this idea of generosity comes from a totally different place than any of these things, actually in the scripture passage that was read for you. And, and I want to use that passage as, a, as a, a jumping off point to say, well, what is the, the foundation of even understanding generosity? How do we begin actually to get free from fear and worry and discontentment? Now, the passage that was read is from a book, uh, it's called Romans, but it's probably better titled The Letter to the Church in Rome. And it was written by the Apostle Paul about 10 years after Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. And he's writing to a young church and a new church. And Romans chapter 1, interestingly, if you've never read it or you've ever read it before, you may not realize that it's, it's Paul's writing to a primarily um, a Gentile audience, so they weren't Jews. They didn't really have any kind of history with God the way the Jewish people would have in this way. And so Romans chapter 1 is him actually explaining to them the beginning of the world, how it all came to be, and how it unraveled. Now, the Jews would have understood that story from Adam and Eve and God and creation and everything like that. 
But the Gentiles had no context of that. And so Paul's actually retelling the story of the world, but he doesn't use any of the stories from Genesis because they wouldn't have known them. So if you're like, hey, I don't know them either, well, you're in the right place. Romans chapter one is actually trying to explain to a Gentile audience, how did the world come about and why is it the way it is? And especially in times like this, we're like, yeah, why is it so broken? Why is the world unraveling the way it is? And Paul presents to them this very interesting but unlikely and kind of bizarre explanation for why the world the way is the way it is. And here's what he says. For although they, that's human beings, knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Did you catch that? The little thing that he's saying that they didn't give, it wasn't money. Paul's explanation for how the world was created and how it is now, as it's unraveled and it's broken, he's saying God created people to know him, but although they did know him, they were aware of him, two things. They chose not to glorify him or worship him, and they chose not to give thanks. Now, some of you maybe grew up in traditions where they talked about original sin, I can guarantee you that when they talked about original sin, nobody ever said to you, you know what part of original sin is? People not giving thanks to God. I swear nobody said that to you. Nobody said that to me. Like if he's saying, think about this. This is Paul's account of why the world has unraveled. He says two things. One that maybe we say we kind of expect. They didn't worship God, but then he says they didn't give thanks to him. And let's just be honest, this is kind of bizarre. Like, really, Paul? Like, this is actually partly why to blame that the world is a mess is because people didn't give thanks. Like, really? Like, when we talk about giving thanks, we usually think about the, t- the categories of, like, manners and meals. Like, you know when you were a kid, and, and maybe you are a kid, and the first time your parents let you go to a friend's house and they didn't come with you? Like, I know for me what that happened was when I came back, the first thing my mom asked me was, were you polite? Did you say thank you? Did you say please? Did you put the toilet seat down? I don't know if she said that. But like, really like this idea of giving thanks sort of falls in the area of manners, like please and thank you. Or maybe you grew up in a tradition where um, you pray. Maybe you do that. You pray before a meal. And in your house, that's called giving thanks. And so we go, really giving thanks is like a big deal to God. It's actually one of the reasons why the world has unraveled is because we don't give thanks. I thought this was just sort of in the area of manners or meals. It was actually much bigger than that. Now, this whole thing actually might probably brings up, should bring up two questions for you. Why does God want us to worship him? What's like, what's, it sounds like he's sort of a megalomaniac, egomaniac, whatever. That seems strange. Like if any other human being said, this is what I really like you to do, um, you know, or if you were dating someone and said, you know, I think our relationship's getting serious. If we're going to be together, here's what you need to do. You need to worship me. You'd be like, no, that's, I'm out. Uh, check, please. You know, like that's, that's weird that God, well, why does God ask him? And why is this giving thanks thing such a big deal? Now, I'm going to answer both those questions, hopefully in some satisfactory manner for you in a moment. But I wanted to take a little pause here because I know maybe you're watching, you're sitting on your couch, some of you are dozing off. We are going to, I know, don't say that never happens. I've seen you in church, okay? I know some of you sleep. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. A little intermission here. I have with me um, brought some something here. Now, here's how this is going to work, okay? This is actually, we're going to run like a little live contest here. Um, and so here's what I want you to do. If you look at this jar and this jar, this is the bigger jar, okay, just in case, just so we're clear. How many more jelly beans are in the bigger jar than this one? How many more? And, and I need you uh, to text in. You're going to text in a number, and here's what's going to happen. 
whatever um, the whoever gets closest to the pin here, whoever gives the number most accurately, you got to put your name in the text. Okay, so your first name, last name, and how many more jelly beans are in here than in here? Okay, and then I will personally deliver the jar to the winner. These are all clean. I've washed every one of them with hand sanitizer, so you don't have to worry. You can eat them all. But I will personally bring them to your house. Now, some of you I know are watching from Kelowna or Southern California. If you just include a ticket with that, I will also come and bring that to your house, okay? So that's just a little intermission. You got that? You got the how it works? Here's the number. Okay, you're going to text in how many more in here than in here. Okay, so that is that. We'll come back to that later. Now, this question's about why did God ask us to worship him? And why is this giving thanks thing such a big deal? Why does Paul say that actually, if you think about the beginning of the world and the way it's unraveled, this is why we are where we are? Because people, human beings, we have all chosen not to worship God and not to give thanks. You say, well, how does that work? Well, he actually goes on to explain in verse 25. He says, they exchanged this is human beings again, all of us. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Now, they didn't know they were doing that. They just believed a lie, right? That's how a lie works. Well, what's the lie? They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. This is Paul's explanation for what has gone wrong with the world. And he said, listen, it fundamentally has to do with worship and gratitude. He said, the lie that we as human beings have believed, we were created to know God, and we actually do know him. We're aware of him. And even if we look around and say, how did this world get so beautiful and so orderly and so functional and so perfect? We said, we, we could know God, but we actually chose, we exchanged, we believed a lie that created things are more worthy of our time, our money, our energy, our passions, our desires, our pursuit, our life than God. That's what he's saying. He said that was the lie. And the lie was we believed that something we could buy and something we could eat and something we could wear and something that would help us look better and someone who would love us for the rest of our lives, all of those things, all good, are actually God. They are the things we need the most in life. And Paul says this is what's going on. Instead of actually pursuing, loving being devoted to, passionately interested in, thinking about God because he is our source of life and hope and peace and fulfillment, we actually looked at the created world and said, no, these things are my source of hope and life and fulfillment. And so Paul's actually explaining, he's, he's explaining to them, this is how humanity works, that we all, we're all in the same boat. We look at things that are good and we say, maybe this will make me finally feel content. Maybe this will get rid of my worry that I'm not good enough. Maybe this will get rid of my fear that in the future I won't have enough. And so these are the things that we go around chasing and chasing and saying, these things can give me life. He says, they're all created things. They're not the creator, but somehow we believed a lie that's saying, this is what gives me life. And for some of us, it's stuff we like to buy, right? And, and have shiny things, new sweaters, new cars, whatever. For others, it's the, it's the place we want to live in, bricks and mortar, for other people, it's what we want to wear. For, for others of us, it's what the food we like to eat. We think a lot about food. We love making it and when we're going to eat it and all that kind of stuff. 
For others of us, it's places we want to go, travel, things we want to see, the, the world we're interested in. For others, it's the opinion of others or how we look or how, what we might become or how other people look or what they have become. But whatever it is, every one of us has those things and has somehow believed a lie that these are the things that will give me life and hope and peace and will get rid of my fear and get rid of my worry and give me contentment once and for all. And so this is the condition we're in. Paul says, we've actually worshiped created things instead of the creator, which answers the question of why worship God. Doesn't this make seem God, God seem like arrogant or, you know, self-centered or somehow he needs us to worship him to stay in business, which he doesn't? Why would God ask us to worship him? Because he knows something you and I don't know. that you become like what you worship. We become like what we worship. Whatever we think about, are fixated on, passionately cherish, passionately pursue, give time to, give energy to, give hope to, put hope in, think that it will save us, that is what we become like. And so if you worship plastic, credit card or whatever, your heart will become like that becomes plastic. If you worship wood and stone and brick and metal, your heart becomes cold and rotted and rusty and fading. If you worship things that are good but not God, it means they're not big enough to be worshiped. Your heart actually shrinks. We become like what we worship. So God's invitation, and what Paul says, hey, this is what's wrong with the world. We have failed to worship God, and it doesn't create a problem for God. It creates a problem for you and for me. God doesn't need us to worship him, but we need it because we become like what we worship. And when you worship the generous, self-giving, kind, and compassionate God, your heart becomes like his. See, remember I said to you this is about the heart? It's actually primarily, first and foremost, not about your heart and my heart, but it's about God's heart. What is God like? The scriptures tell us that God is kind and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, that he is generous and self-giving. And if we were ever to be in doubt, we only need to look at Jesus who came to show us the heart of God. And Jesus not only came to serve, but ultimately gave himself. It was the, the cross of Jesus Christ. His death was his ultimate demonstration of just how generous and self-giving God really is. And when you and I think about this, when you and I give our life and our energy and our hope and desire to run after him, to worship him, to think about him, to learn about him, to know him, to pursue him, we become like him. Say to the person next to you, you can become like God. <laughs> was the last time someone ever said that to you? This is what we can actually do. This is the promise. This is why God says, hey, I don't need you to worship me but you need it because you need to become more like this. So I want to just take one more pause. This That's beautiful, right? Just a, a reminder of how all of creation actually from the beginning of time worships God and we are invited to do the same. And God invites us to do that so that our hearts can become more like his. 
That, that's that first question. But the second one I told you I'd also answer is, well, why is giving thanks such a big deal? Well, not only is it a way of worshiping God, but generosity actually starts by giving thanks. The, ba- the basis, the foundation for generosity if we are going to become generous people, it actually starts with giving something, but it's giving thanks. Let me explain that to you as we go back to our little uh, jelly bean experiment. All right? Now, I know that I told you that um, it was a game and and I was going to deliver it, and I will, but I want you to notice something now. Now all that's here, what do you see? Now the, the big jar is gone. And how much more is in there? And what we notice actually is this one's actually pretty full. It's full and actually it's overflowing. And then these ones, I don't know if you noticed they were there before. Some of you did. Some of you are like, those are new. They're not. They were there before. But now we see, man, this is so full. And these are actually empty. And, And what this is a beautiful picture of saying, when we are able to actually give thanks, we stop comparing We stop comparing to other people who have all of the other things and the life and the person that we want and the spouse that we want and the clothes that we want and the place that they live and we wish our lives were like that and either or other people or every Instagram post or whatever um, pop-up ad or push notification or whatever is telling you and reminding you all the things you don't have but you need and when those things, when we actually begin to focus and give thanks for what we do have, those things start to disappear. We stop comparing. We are then free to be more content with what we have. And we become more aware of what we have to give. That's why gratitude becomes the foundation for all of this stuff. As you and I begin to cultivate, I'll push this out of the way now. As you and I begin to cultivate the habit of giving thanks, it actually makes us more and more aware of what we have, of how richly we have been blessed. And not just in material things, because maybe some of us would feel like we don't have a lot of those. But as we look at relationships, as we look at health, as we look at material things, as we look at even more than that, God who has given himself to each one of us, who has held nothing back from us, who has given us life and love and forgiveness and grace and purpose and fulfillment, we realize, man, I am richly blessed And I become more aware of what I have and more aware of what I have to give. And so this is what uh, I want to encourage you to do. They say it actually takes 21 days to form a habit. Well, we're in this thing called 30 days of generosity. And I wanted to encourage you to start giving thanks by, I know you've been told by your parents you're not allowed to do this, but you are. You can write on your walls. Okay, and let me qualify that, okay? What I mean is, Create a space in your house. And if you live on your own, make it a space that, uh, where you pass all the time. Maybe it's the bathroom you brush your teeth in or whatever. It's the mirror or it's a hallway or whatever or near the fridge or something. If you live in a home with a bunch of people, find the place that is the highest traffic place for that. And um, put up a poster or picture or magnet or something, some place that you are going to give thanks. And what I want you to do is every time you pass it, write something down on it. Um, a couple of our staff sort of put a few of these. Here's one um, that's got some post-it notes, a, a give thanks wall, and another one created actually a jar of stuff that's going to be put in. You can read it later. Um, my wife did this one on our chalkboard wall and just growing this thing about giving thanks. And what we're hoping is, is you start to make lists that you'd actually share those using the hashtag whatgives2020. This is part of our 30 days of generosity. 
But what I want you to do is think about this. Of everything that you can think of, when you wake up in the morning and it's sunny, you give thanks to God for that. When you wake up in the morning and it's rainy, you give thanks that your grass is going to look, our grass always looks the best right after the rain. The rest of it, it looks terrible, but God looks after it when it rains. Um, for things that have happened to you in the day, the people that you're with, the, the health that you have or the health that you have back now or the things that have happened as you're being able to return to work, whatever those things are, fill that spot right on those walls. It makes a habit. It begins to change your mindset as you begin to think, man, this is full. My life is full. Giving thanks is the beginning of generosity actually opening up our hands. Because here's what happens when you start to cultivate a habit of giving thanks. You stop comparing and contentment starts to grow in your life. You actually have a peace about where you're at in life. When you fill pages and walls of your house with giving thanks of all of the things that God has done and who he is and what he is doing, not only does contentment grow, but you know what? Fear and worry start to go away. You know why? Because fear and worry are an attempt to control the future that we don't know and can't control by thinking about it over and over. That's what fear and worry are. And when you are regularly reminded and your head is full of all of the things that God has done in the past leading up to the present, you start to think, wait a second, why am I worried about the future. I am continually reminded of how faithful God has been and is. I can let him handle the future that I can't see. Our, our peace and contentment goes up and our worry and fear goes away. And so I just want to bless you with a new habit of giving thanks um, and that would actually bring about a change in your heart a change in the hearts of the people that you do life with. And if I can say this, a change in our whole community as our community becomes people who have a heart like God's. Well, thanks so much for listening.